coming up next in this episode. So stress and trauma disconnect us from ourselves. And some people have had very early experiences of stress and trauma. So you may have never felt like you had the safety to explore, to develop, to express your authentic self. So I say the journey home can be a return or it can be a journey for the first time. And so it is possible to connect with yourself, even if you are a survivor of early disconnection. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and this is your self-help testing ground where we take all things personal development to task and get to the root of how we really change and grow in body, mind, and spirit. And I bring you the best and brightest to have candid conversations that matter about the psychology, science, and humanity of bettering ourselves. You'll hear from top influencers and experts in personal development, ranging from entertainers to psychologists, top entrepreneurs to pro athletes, comedians to Ivy League professors. Let's blow up the platitudes of self-help and uncover what really works. In this episode, think about the idea of going home to your happy place, your comfort, where you feel safe and you just get to be you. Now imagine it's not a place, but it's just finally being your healthy and authentic self, totally at peace and joyful. If you've ever known a place or a time like that, you can relate and you may want to get back there. If you've never known it, This is about your hope to finally find it. So you're about to hear from my conversation with Dr. Tama Bryant. Tama is a clinical psychologist and professor of psychology at Pepperdine University. She's an ordained minister in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. She earned her doctorate from Duke University and completed her postdoctoral training at Harvard Medical School. In the world of academia and clout, she is just royalty. Now add, she's president-elect of the American Psychological Association, the APA. Even our other top psychologists look to her for guidance. And many such people we expect would be up in the ivory towers dispensing their wisdom to the masses below. But go check out Tama on Instagram. You'll see why over 300,000 people follow her as she offers just love and understanding. You'll find her dancing and see her efforts in play to decolonize traditional psychology and bring alongside with the science, the power of spirituality and faith in our very humanity. Her new book is called homecoming. And here in this episode, we take a really base look at the real world issues and hope for today's mental health realities that we're all dealing with. You can find Dr. Tama Bryant's book homecoming anywhere and everywhere and connect with her at Dr. Tama That's D-R-T-H-E-M-A.com. And now I'm going to bring her to you. Tame, it was an honor to have the chance to have you on here to begin with. But I initially, when I got the book, I got into the topic. I was already interested. It was after that that I realized you had just been elected as president of the American Psychological Association. So uh, I got to first just say congratulations. That's incredible. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited, grateful, appreciative. And I uh, fortunately get this year as president elect kind of behind the scenes, get all my ducks in a row. And then 2023, I'll be the president. 
Okay, beautiful. Well, I'm, uh, I appreciate that. I've got a good amount of friends who are members of the APA, so now I can claim some bragging rights. So thank you for That's that. That's right. Well. Okay. <laughs> Good. You're, I want to start off, Tama, with, I mean, the title of your book and podcast is Homecoming. And that drew me, uh, it resonated with me of the homecoming of, in that essence of coming back to yourself. And you say in there, reclaiming your whole authentic self. Obviously, a lot of people, probably a majority are going to resonate with that. However, and you do speak to it to the book. I, I, I had the thought and then I saw that you did speak to it, but I want you to start off here to the people who don't resonate with coming back because it's something that they never experienced to begin with. Help yeah. us help us there. Absolutely. So stress and trauma disconnect us from ourselves. Yeah. And some people have had very early experiences of stress and trauma. So you may have never felt like you had the safety to explore, to develop, to express your authentic self. So I say the journey home can be a return or it can be a journey for the first time. And so it is possible to connect with yourself, even if you are a survivor of early disconnection. You use that word again, right in your tagline there, you're reclaiming your whole authentic self. That word authentic has been a buzzword in the culture for a while now. Obviously, it came to the surface. It's still there. It feels like we are crying for, people seem to be crying for authenticity. They want that from their leaders, from their influencers, from their culture, from their government, yada, yada. And yet, what I experience, and, you know, I'm in the self-help industry, and what you speak to also here is we do that. We want that. And yet we are so often, as you said, disconnected from who we are authentically to begin with. That seems like a pretty, I mean, there's a, there's a crux of our issue. Yes. Right. It's so important. We are longing for it from other people and actually longing for it for ourselves. So that's why transparency can be contagious, right? When we get in the presence of people who are real, it can free us up to have permission to be more real And when we are inauthentic to give ourselves grace and compassion, because that's largely fear based, you know, when I am dominated by fear of will people accept me? Will they choose me? Will they approve of me? Uh, What will happen to me if I'm out of the box, if I color outside of the lines? And so we get messages very early to conform. We get messages very early to censor ourselves, to dress like everybody else, talk like everybody else. It posts like everybody else. And so uh, it is a wonderful act of liberation to take the risk of being real. So let's dig in there because yeah. I'll admit I I feel a tension mm-hmm. with myself, with others in that aspect. If you said the words transparency, you said the word being real, we're talking about being authentic. So I also feel often a cry from people of kind of that aspect of, can I just be loved for who I am? Right. Mm-hmm. And yet, and I'll just throw this at you. I, I get that. So there's, can I just be loved for who I am? Yes. However, you, you're being a jerk, uh, right now as well. So there's that aspect of, gosh, we know this in the business world and in sales that you, there is some performance, there is some modification of just my 
you know, it's not fair to say, but you know, a Tourette's syndrome. I mean, if I said everything that came into my mind, that would not serve anyone well. So where's the tension, the balance between that being real, being transparent and yet uh, some PR skills. Is that fair? Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. It's a great question. So I would say when we're being a jerk, that is actually not our authentic self. Okay. But it gets it gets publicized as that. Like people say, I'm just being real, but yep. they're really being cruel, right? They're okay. actually being mean spirited. Yeah. And so what I would say as opposed to needing to contort yourself is to actually heal. And this goes back to your first question of if I have been taught to be like that my whole life, I can actually believe that is the real me. Versus that is my wound that is leading me, right, to go through life cruel and harsh in that way. Okay, so you answered it, if I can paraphrase then, my authentic self, and I'll own this for me, my authentic self is not the coming forth with my damage, with my wound, is what you said. My authentic self is whole, and in that, it should be, well, I shouldn't say it should be okay because it may not be. I guess that's part of it too. And, and I will own that part. My, I'm, I'm in, I don't like conflict. Mm-hmm. I do yeah. want people to like me mm-hmm. uh, un, un, to a healthy standpoint. I have to balance that. I have to, I have to work on that. And I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to rub anyone wrong. And yet I understand from a psychological standpoint, if I'm whole and healthy, I, I will. And I need to be okay with that. Also, that's hard for a lot of us people pleasers to hold. Yes, it is. And what I say to that, so a couple of things. One, I appreciated what you said about like if I say everything that pops in my head that can get me in trouble. And so it is important to have what I call in the book, your inner court and your outer court. Mm. So there are people who are just my acquaintances. And so when they say, how are you? I may give them a piece of it. Like I might say I'm tired or, you know, I give them one answer. And I would give a deeper answer to my inner court, but the answer I give to the outer court is not a lie. It's just uh, you are, there's less intimacy there. So I do want to remind people to have permission that to live truthfully doesn't mean everyone gets free access to you, right? So to live truthfully, I also honor what is the nature of this relationship. So if I work in sales and someone comes in, you know, if they do like the nicety, they're really just there to shop. They're not there. Like this is a therapy, right? So I I read the room. Uh, But then I do want to say the part about the people pleasing. I think uh, many of us struggle with it. And and many people who are in the the work of trying to make things better for others, trying to make people feel comfortable, trying to empower and heal. Uh, But in terms of wanting authenticity, we also want real relationships. So if I am faking it with everyone, then I actually don't have any friends because they don't really know me. So they like the person who agrees with them on everything. They like the person who has no needs, right? They like the person who never has a complaint, but that is not actually a relationship. So to have real intimacy means I have to risk showing up. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to be for everybody. So it's better that we know that sooner. You know, it's like when people go out on the first date and they're pretending or performing because they want to be chosen. But like, you can't keep that up. It's unsustainable. So it's like, get to know the actual person, let them get to know you. And then you all can find out, is it a match? You speak, of course, in the book 
to emotional intelligence. And you just talked right now about real intimacy and I will use myself as a guinea pig here. I know some other people can relate. I believe that I was very open. I'm an open book. I'm not a private person. And in that I was authentic and it has taken and is taking a long time for me to realize that I am not emotionally intimate. So I am not being that fully intimate friend with my wife, with my other friends. I don't share how I feel. I don't want to offend. And Mm -hmm. it took a, it took burnout. Honestly, it took burnout from my performance to bring me to that point. And uh, Tama, it was, it was literal, just unawareness. I did not, I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I I appreciate your, your honesty in that. Cause I think a lot of times we don't know it can look like openness. For example, people who are talkative, then they can say, Oh, you know, I'm emotionally intelligent, but it's like, you can talk a lot and say nothing. Or I've had clients who will say, I have real intimacy. People always tell me their problems. And I say, repeat what you just said. I have real intimacy. People always tell you their problems. Do you ever tell them your problems? And then they go into, well, I don't want to be a burden. I know everybody else is already stressed. So then you don't give people the opportunity to show up for you. Right. And so a piece of it, one thing we we named was people pleasing. Another one is when we have that script of being the strong one. Right. I'm the strong one in my family, the strong one on my job, the strong one in this community. And there could be some ego in that of like, I call it the if it wasn't for me. And if it wasn't for me, this thing would fall apart. Right. If it wasn't for me and we can get really yeah. on that. Right. Yeah. 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 A God complex is, yeah. is what I refer. Yeah. Yes, that's right. But then, as you said, burnout, it's carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. It just uh, doesn't work in the long run. And it doesn't honor our humanity. And the thing is, then when we end up in a bind, we can get resentful of how come no one's there for us in the way that we showed up for everyone else. And we never taught them how. Like people are startled by our humanity if we always only show up when we have it together. Well, you've been listening to my inner court, apparently, (laughs) uh, to catch that. And you spoke, speaking of that the inner court and the outer court. And you talked about that, that not everyone are you going to be, you're going to be your authentic self, but you're not going to open yourself up to everyone. And then even in this topic that we just covered, I hear you speaking to boundaries, which we got to give a call out to. I saw, I found out was a friend of yours is Nedra Tawab Glover, who we had on the show. She's been on in the past six months. What a gift. Um, Oh my gosh. Love her and her book and workbook. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I actually need to touch base with her again and give her a little more credit because I got, uh, I got prescribed my own need to dig more into boundaries, my lack thereof. And I'm using her book. She doesn't even know it. So I need to connect with her, but I, <laughs> but I hear you speaking to that. That's part of this mm-hmm. authentic self it is some boundaries, right. which as you know, is so uncomfortable, especially to, right. and, and you, you kind of alluded to this, the type of person who's listening to this show is by proxy, yeah. an aspiring person is what I refer mm-hmm. to them. They are somebody who wants to make a difference. They want to serve others in yeah. by proxy then they mm-hmm. are going to tend towards those, the issues we're talking about. I don't want right. to offend. I don't. Right. And, and then there's the tension again. Right. Yeah. It's when I say yes to every request, 
then I am saying no to myself. I'm saying no to my mental health. I'm saying no to my physical health. I'm saying no to my dreams. And so it costs you to erase yourself, but other people will like it. People like someone who always gives them a yes. And uh, if you say like, do you need anything? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm just here for you. Right. So we can get rewarded for self erasure. But what a painful existence to realize you miss yourself, to realize you have spent your life on the back burner. And so to say that just as I believe other people are deserving of care, time and attention, can I heal to the point where I believe that is also true for me. Yeah. And what I've realized, again, using myself, that's the benefit of being the host here. I get free counsel. So thank you for that. Or, or invoice me later, either way. And, uh, you know, the lack of boundaries yeah. does not, I have let it erode my peace. And it's interesting mm-hmm. when I sit with you for a brief time. Uh, I was with Nedra and right away I look and I go, I I see peace. I see Mm -hmm. a quick smile. I see a peaceful demeanor. And Mm -hmm. to see that that came from authenticity, from the wholeness and and from boundaries, it's just not how we tend to paint it because we think that, oh, that's Mm going to be a hard edge. That's going to be a, that's going to be a a wall that they have to put up and push people away. And it's what your testimony is. It's not. Mm-hmm. Right. It is, you know, to think of it as protecting your peace, protecting your health, uh, protecting your dreams and visions. And other piece is, even if a lot of the things are things you're actually interested in, time and energy are limited. So then I will end up doing half as good on a million things. Then I could actually come through with excellence yeah. if I would have said no to something. Yeah. That's huge and uh, yeah, constant. I see that. I mean, we have a lot of entrepreneurs, of course, in in the audience. It's such a dangerous place to be because we are going to wear every hat. We're going to do everything. We're going to fix everything. It does feel like it's on us and we do. And I see that and I'm taken away from my, as my oldest son would say, my area of brilliance or genius. Mm -hmm. I don't have time because I'm over here taking care of this and admin in this and whatever and doing things that I'm not even competent in. And it robs myself of the fulfillment of, and and others of the fulfillment of my I'll say my art. How's that? Right. It's true. It's true. It's a great example. As you were talking, you know, the example that came to mind for me in Los Angeles, I was doing this women's group once a month and I would come in. I was doing the teaching, the facilitating, and I was also bringing all the refreshments and I also had to bring my kids. And so, and I was driving the furthest distance. It was just ridiculous. And so finally I got frustrated with it. And I said, you know, starting next month, we're not going to have refreshments. Well, what ended up happening were the women stepped up and started bringing like these big full meals, even more than what I was doing. (laughs) So it's like step back and give other people the opportunity to step forward instead of having to be a one man show or one woman show. I'm Kevin Miller. You are listening to my conversation with Dr. Tama Bryant on coming home, home to our authentic selves. You can find her book, Homecoming, anywhere and connect with her at drthema.com. You have 
again, I'm going to keep referencing the book here, Overcoming Fear and Trauma to Reclaim Your Whole Authentic Self. Um, I want to talk about trauma. It continues to be a word I'm seeing over and over. Obviously, more and more people are resonating with it, but I want you to unpack your perspective as Tama, as president of the APA as well on that, because I know myself and, and many others have taken that word trauma and not resonated with it because we haven't had some specific tragic event. I mean, you mm -hmm. are a, uh, you've dealt with sex violence in your own life. Some mm -hmm. things that we would look at yeah. and say, okay, that's, that's, that's an obvious trauma. That's a big mm -hmm. ticket trauma. That's a, you know, it's a black and white. We got that one. Yeah. And yet so many other people are suffering from an aspect of trauma that they mm -hmm. don't realize because they have minimize that. So, but I want to hear you unpack how you sure. would label trauma and who has and has not dealt with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great question. So there's tr stress and then there's traumatic stress. Okay. So we all face stress and stress, you know, are we have these multiple roles and obligations that we're juggling. And even though it can be stressful, we figure out a way to navigate it. Right. Then traumatic stress are those experiences that overwhelm our usual capacity to cope, right? Okay. And they disrupt our nervous system. They can create a sense of uh, intense fear like terror, uh, hopelessness, powerlessness, and it can uh, disrupt your sense of who you are, your sense of who other people are, it can make it difficult for you to regulate your emotions yeah. and make it difficult for you to trust. And so, you know, a big trauma that we have all been exposed to is COVID, right? So right. a pandemic is a trauma and, you know, people want to go on like business as usual, but it's like, you know, when we were in that period when they were scrolling the death count on the side of the screen on the news, Right. I think a lot of people checked out or wanted to believe it can't be real because it just felt like too much to contain, like that amount of mass death globally and in the U.S. Uh, so that, you know, a pandemic is a trauma. Right. Yeah. Talk about it in reference to a I tend I, I'm coming to be more enamored with spectrums that it's not that you have type two diabetes or not, in essence, we're all on the spectrum and, in, right. and it's going to get to the, the degree of, mm -hmm. of, of a negative or let's say a tangible manifestation or yeah. not. So when you come back to stress here and traumatic stress, mm -hmm. I guess it's fair to say we're, of course, we're all on the spectrum. If living is stress. So uh, yeah. being alive is a, is a stress. We're all on the spectrum and whether or not, obviously, again, if you have that big ticket trauma, that's an obvious one, but back to the little ones that you talked about, talk about how they can grow into, if they're not dealt with, even that small one can grow into mm -hmm. that big one and manifest and catch us unaware. Sure. So it's important to know you can be exposed to a trauma and not develop a post-traumatic stress disorder or not go into a major depression or not develop panic attacks. Uh, but some people do. It's like with grief. Uh, some people kind of go through their mourning process and then some people get stuck in the grief. Right. So exposure doesn't guarantee a particular uh, outcome. But we want to become aware of ourselves because sometimes what has happened is we haven't connected the dots. So we have actually been affected, but we don't 
realize that it goes back to that earlier experience or that prior experience. Um, and so, you know, on the spectrum of, of paying attention within yourself of how it might affect you, uh, of course, uh, uh, a major one is major depression. And it's important to know that depression is more than sadness, right? It is more severe than sadness. If you've been sad for a day or two and by day four, you're better, right? You have not experienced depression. So sometimes what happens is people who have experienced sadness try to give advice to people who have clinical depression. Mm. And it's very insensitive because you don't know what it's like to not be able to get out of the bed or to not be able to function. And so then people will say things like, you just need to look on the bright side. You just need to be grateful. You just, you know, and what I did was I just hike every day. And when I hike every day, you know, so I say, whenever you're giving feedback to someone that starts with just, it means you you don't really understand like the weight of it. Um, I want to also say along with uh, depression that it can show up with major anxiety, with panic attacks. Uh, and I want to also name anger. I think in this self help space, um, people try to um, advise everyone to be detached and have no feelings as if that is like the ideal human state. And what I like to say is it's healthy to be outraged about outrageous things, Hmm. right? If outrageous things are happening around you or to you or to your family or community, and you're just like, Zen, I feel nothing. Like to me, that's not, that's not healthy. So it just becomes the things that I am outraged about, things I am upset about, what do I do with that, right? How do I channel that, try to make things better, or to confront what is wrong, um, as opposed to thinking that to be healthy is to be checked out. Because that's actually a trauma response, what we call dissociation. When people are disconnected and, and as children who've experienced, for example, molestation or child abuse, or there was domestic violence in the home, when they couldn't physically leave, you know, they would emotionally check out as a way of coping. And so some adults are still doing that. They're physically present, but emotionally absent. You spoke to, well, well, in that aspect of somebody who hasn't really understood depression and they speak to it and, hey, just look on the bright side, you speak to, and I pulled it out of the book, toxic positivity. And that jumped out because this is, you know, again, we're self-help. That is a, we're going to err on that side of, yeah, look on the bright side and make lemonade out of lemons. And obviously we're not going to discount that. That's huge because on the other side, well, I recently had Dan Pink on the show and his new book is the power of regrets. And that again, called to me right away. I wanted to do that as soon as I saw the book, because I am not a no regrets person, but he said, that's how we tend to be. We're either going to reject it, no regrets or the dangers on the other side. And we wallow in them. So in that regards, again, you talk, you speak to fear right in the tagline of the book. Um, Maybe hit on that too, because we have so much content in this space about not letting fear, you know, kind of the no fear type thing, which Mm -hmm. we know if you have no fear, you're psychopathic basically. Um, But most people are struggling with being incapacitated by that. So where is that with, I mean, I'm I'm grateful that I'm fearful of certain heights. I should be, because if I fall, I'm going to die. So that's a good, that's not a wrong fear. I don't want to be a no fear in regards to that, but we obviously on a mental aspect have so many people who are incapacitated by fear. So again, I guess we're just talking a spectrum. 
Right. Yeah. So that piece with the the toxic positivity is uh, it is unhealthy to deny people the space, safety and opportunity for a full spectrum of emotions. Right. So if I can only tell people how great things are, that is going to really limit the relationship. Right. Then I know like I can't say anything else to you. And and you have friends who are like that or people who are like, I don't know how much we want to call them friends, but people who are like, you know, don't speak that. Don't say that. Like it, you know, uh, don't want people to speak truth. And so they'll say it's people who say if you speak it, that makes it true. No, even when it's a secret, it's still true. It's still happening. Uh, And so it is our own lack of emotional capacity to sit with people who are suffering. So to make us feel better, we want them to paint a happy face on it. We want them to, you know, smile and, um, you know, present only the good where some people are, are in pain. And, you know, a lot of times when I do interviews, people are quick to say, can you talk to people about getting rid of a victim mindset? Like they're so quick to want people to like uh, not think about their victimization. And I say, we can talk about healing to that, but can we first deal with the grief of having been harmed? Yeah. And that, you know, I think people have a discomfort with that. A primary premise of yours is decolonizing psychology. I had not heard that term. I had to go read uh, what that meant. uh, And you say it's making space for the diverse pathways people take towards addressing trauma that fall outside clinical psychology. And obviously you have a significant focus on spirituality. Let's say, and I actually want to ask you, I want to start, let's dig in right there with all the red flags that they may may raise for some people, because they're going to hear spirituality, which we talk about a lot on the show, but a lot of people are going to cash that in. Okay. You mean like a faith-based aspect and religion? Let's literally start right there because you're speaking because it's also from your position as president Mm -hmm. of the APA. That's a somewhat, I don't know if it's too far to say volatile topic. It's definitely controversial. So, so, yeah, great. It's important to talk about. So there is actually a division of the American Psychological Association that's focused on the integration of faith, spirituality and religiosity. So it's important to know that on average, mental health professionals endorse a lower rate of spirituality and religiosity than the general public. Hmm. So then what happens when you have people creating models for healing that don't acknowledge the way a large portion of the population sees the world, right? And people of color and women endorse higher rates of both spirituality and religiosity. So who is not served when we create models and spaces where it's not okay for them to talk about the way in which they understand the world? So it really is a way of saying mental health professionals need to also be culturally attuned. And so culture is not only race and ethnicity, it's gender, it's sexuality, it's religion, it's disability, it's migration status. And so uh, people who have uh, a, a immediate negative 
whenever they hear uh, religiosity or to hear religion, what I would say is that, especially if you're going to be a care provider, is you need to be able to hold both ends of the spectrum. So the reality is there are people for whom the ways in which they have survived has been based in their faith. And then there are people who have been harmed by faith. Mm-hmm. And what we have largely are people who are only willing to acknowledge one or the other. So there are those who just see it as something harmful and are very disrespectful, the people who hold faith beliefs. And then there are those who hold faith beliefs who aren't willing to acknowledge that there are those who have been harmed in those spaces. Right. So it actually shouldn't be as controversial as it is. Psychology actually comes from the Greek word psyche, which means the soul. Hmm. It is the study of the soul. And uh, it is not uh, impossible to hold both pieces that people can have a faith life and still want to work through their cognitions or learn new behaviors. Um, And so the divide I have seen promoted on on both sides. So for example, I had a client who came and saw me and she was in seminary studying to do ministry. And she literally had a therapist say to her, oh my goodness, you seem so smart. Don't tell me you believe that stuff. Yeah. Now this is her life's work, right? So then of course she dropped out of therapy because like you don't get me or I had a, a supervisor once who was speaking in a very dismissive way of the client he was working with was a black woman and she was needing to make a decision about her son. And she told the therapist, I'm going to pray on it. I'll let you know next week. And he came in the clinic meeting and thought it was like laughing at this woman ridiculing her. Like that was the most ridiculous thing he heard that she needed to pray on it this week. So when people have those kinds of attitudes, it's not going to be safe for people to come in and get the care they deserve. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you'll have people in faith communities who will say, all you need to do is meditate and pray. All you need to do is do the, the yoga. All you need to do is light your candles. And so why are you wasting your time going to therapy? So uh, I'm glad to be a part of uh, people who are serving as a bridge because people should not be put in a position where they feel they have to choose their faith or their mental health. I under, I hear you addressing it professionally and culturally and saying, hey, this is something that exists that if we ignore, we are missing the person. Now come over on the personal side as 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 me, someone in the audience of mm-hmm. I am I'm not a psychologist. I'm I'm someone who is going to get help from a provider. What am I missing? And I know that this is a subjective question, mm-hmm. but what am I missing? What do you see? What do you see culturally missing when we, as the culture who is getting help and needing to address things, when we don't include our own some aspect of spirituality and faith. Yes, it is um, not holistic. So that's when we talk about your whole authentic self. As I say, you know, what are the parts of you that have received the most attention and what are the parts that have been neglected? Right. And so there are those of us who have focused a lot on our physical health. So, you know, we're in the gym, we're doing all of that. Um, There are those who are spending a lot of time 
uh, feeding their minds, but then to say, what are the things you do to feed your spirit? So Howard Thurman uh, was an African-American theologian, and he has this beautiful quote where he says, uh, do the things that make you come alive, mm. because there are far too few of us who are actually alive. Yeah. And so, you know, what waters your what waters your garden? What feeds your spirit? What makes you come alive? Um, that's you know the soul work. So, in looking at, I want to I want to address another aspect with you that has come up continually too. Now, I am a uh, you know person of faith. Uh, yeah. I believe in in God, and I actually uh, claim that Jesus guy uh, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. regardless of that, I have been reading more and more on a psychological standpoint, on a medi- on a on a medical standpoint about. I'm enamored with placebo, honestly, mm-hmm. and yeah. the aspect of you know do placebos work? And I, I I think proof is that absolutely they do. And whether that pill, if we want to put it there actually has an ingredient in it that changes the chemistry of my body and act and helps me, or I just think it should or would or could, and it does who cares. And so some of the aspect of trying to are proving of this faith base and the spirituality aspect, again, I feel like has to come into play of man. If the person believes in it, that in and of itself is prone to help them. Yes. Yeah, it's been documented with the research. You know, when we look at uh, recovery um, and the aftermath of like major medical um, interventions, uh, people who and, you know, it makes sense, right? People who endorse a greater sense of faith have like uh, a smoother recovery. Yeah. Interestingly, when you talk about is it placebo, they actually this is from the Duke University, Duke Medical Center. Um, center on faith and health, they actually found in a study that people who were being prayed for and didn't know they were being prayed for actually did better. Yeah. Wow. Right. So uh, it, it is important. And one of the things that people have talked about with prayer and with meditation actually is it's not just about like getting what you want, but the, the process of engaging in the practice actually changes you, yeah. right? So it's not like, oh, just if I meditate or if I pray, I'm going to get everything I desire. But the process uh, of engaging in that way is actually transformative. I like that so much. It's the the, the sum is greater than the parts in yeah. essence. And I've learned that from a couple great people who showcase those things, kind of those habits, which we'll do, uh, we'll talk about here in a little while, but that the aspect of me doing habits that I don't need to do that are good and beneficial for me, the engagement with that, the, uh, the discipline of doing that serves me as much or more in and of itself than the habit itself. And that's just not common thought. Yes. Yeah. People are often thinking about it as like uh, the magic pill to, to get what I want. And sometimes we want things that aren't good for us. I'm Kevin Miller. You are listening to my conversation with Dr. Tama Bryant on coming home, home to our authentic selves. You can find her book, Homecoming, anywhere and connect with her at drthema.com. 
you're you coming back to some of the, you know, the spectrums and the trauma and the fear you talk a lot about, you mentioned it here, stress, and even the word disappointment. And it, again, it just jumped out to me in regards to, do we take those things and not give them enough gravity again, especially in this demographic right here, where we're going to take those things, go, come on, buck up. Let's just go forward be positive and all that. And especially when we've got a culture who is falling so much more and more and more to literal depression, despair, apathy, numbness. And we go, I don't want to do that. So we're going to, let's get a disappointment. Hey, look on the bright side, buck up. And again, we're, we're polarized there. And so we don't want to fall to it, be overwhelmed by it. But what's the concern of if we don't give that? Because I, I do like that word disappointment. There have been some disappointments <laughs> in my life. I didn't give gravity to. And again, I'll own this. Yeah. And they just grew and they grew. And then yeah. here I am years later getting therapy and realizing, man, I am suffering anxiety or, or a, a loss or grief or whatever from what wasn't it, it shouldn't, I, I, again, this is me thinking I shouldn't be that big, but it obviously was, that was a disappointment that stuck. I did not. I didn't deal with it. I didn't recover mm -hmm. from it. How would you say that? Yeah. Yeah. So important uh, to know the things that we stuff and suppress bleed out in other ways. Yeah. So you may say, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it, but it sure is affecting the way that you partner. Mm -hmm. It's affecting the way that you parent. It's showing up in your irritability, but in your mind, you're like, I'm over it. Right. I don't I don't care. That's, you know, the teenage response. I don't care. I don't care. And we or say I shouldn't we care. care. I'm just thinking I shouldn't right. care about that. Come on. Right. Yeah. And yet and yet the truth is I do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So giving myself the space for that so that I can acknowledge it so I can heal it so I can learn from it. I say pull the wisdom out of the wound. Yeah. Right. What what do I what do I know now that I didn't know before? What do I know? Well, I was most, I dug in most in your book, Tama, into disconnect yeah. um, and disconnecting primarily from emotions and that feeling of, you know, emotions are dangerous. They're unproductive, especially to my, I just want to go. I, here's where I am. There's where I want to go. I don't care what happened behind me. I don't care what I'm feeling. I just need to go there. And we've got that perspective that that's just unproductive. It's inefficient. And obviously that's not tenable either. That's not sustainable either. The back to what you just said, the stuffing of those. And if I do that, I become disconnected. And again, I, I'm, I'm working through that striving for growth in that now to become reconnected. And it's honestly, it's disorienting. If mm -hmm. something's been stuffed, it's been right. ignored now to try to bring that back and do it with some health. Though it, it's, I don't know a better word than that disorienting and nobody yeah. wants to be disoriented. Right. I thank you for naming that. Cause I think we often don't talk about that aspect of what I say, the growing pains, mm. it's going to feel awkward to do it differently. You know, if I'm used to not, having real conversation, then real conversation is going to feel awkward. If I'm used to um, presenting in a different, a certain way to actually let other aspects of myself show up, it's going to, it might even feel fake. You know, right. I was doing a, a, a session with a mother and her adult child and the adult child wanted more 
uh, verbal affection in their relationship. And so when I asked the mother, you know, what would it be like to tell your daughter that you love her? And her immediate response was, that would feel fake. And I said, well, it's only fake if it's not true. Do you not love her? Right? Well, you don't know. I do. I do. But just had not grown up with people saying it. Right. Wasn't it, it felt like those are like people on TV who are like, you know, to her, I love you, daughter. <laughs> right? But it's like to to work through the discomfort to make it your new normal. And that will only come by doing it. Yeah. I. It feels elementary to even ask this, but maybe I'll go to the common sense is so often not common. Yeah. And we know this, we know that it is, you mentioned anger a minute ago. So let's talk about that, that it is not a sin. I'll bring up my, mm -hmm. my Bible belt upbringing. It's not a sin to feel angry. Yeah. What we would say, yeah, but it is to walk forward in that, to express that and affect, you know, other people. But again, we seem to generally just polarize and that's what I did. I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm, I'm bigger than that. I'm not even going to get angry or I'm definitely not going to express that. I'm not going to share that. I'm going to stuff that, ignore that. And it feels like we still are struggling to understand how to healthfully feel something, how to sit with it as my therapist is wanting me to do to sit with it. And yet one, not let it incapacitate me and be sensitive to how the expression of that can negatively affect those around us. And so I find, you know, myself, and I definitely hear it from others, not understanding. I, I just don't know what that looks like. And so we contend, we tend to fall again on the other side, both either side of the spectrum and not come into the middle. Yeah. So, uh, to feel it, see what, ha I think the reason we fear feeling it is from ourselves or from other people, we have only seen it associated with like violence, right? So I don't want to, I'm afraid to feel because I might explode. And har so harm then, somebody else. Yeah, sure. Right. So now, because I now have that fear and that script in my mind, I don't allow myself to feel any of it, which actually increases the likelihood of a later explosion. Right. Because I've just been pushing, pushing, pushing. So now when somebody does something that's like at a level three offense, we explode with 10 because we've been holding it for months or for years. Right. As opposed to giving myself permission to share when it comes up. You know, I didn't like when you said that or I was uncomfortable with the way you spoke with me or whatever that is to learn. I can uh, express my upset without it being uh, a bad person. Here's the thing, to have sustainable relationships requires difficult conversations. But if I avoid all difficult conversations, we're gonna grow apart or it's gonna, or someone, someone will be clueless that there is somebody in here who's really unhappy and the other worst person doesn't know it. Right. Because I've made it my point to like not express that. And yet you're miserable and your friend or partner doesn't know. Well, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, in my awareness, you've just described a primary aspect of my own journey in that. And I want to I want to go back to you saying that, that if we don't deal with that anger, it is more likely to come out in a, an even bigger outburst at some other time. But speak to some of the other 
uh, manifestations uh, possible of that, because I'm going to guess, and again, uh, in my own journey that we can also, maybe it won't come out into an explosion, but it's going to manifest somewhere. And it could be, yeah. my first thought was numbness and mm -hmm. bitterness. Yep. Bitterness, resentment. resentment. Sometimes it turns inward in depression. So instead of getting mad okay. at them, I'm mad at myself. Okay. Right. So people keep mistreating me and they can't be wrong. It must be something about me. Hmm. Right. So now I have shame and guilt and humiliation about why do what is it about me that makes people keep doing this to me? Right. Because I can't be upset with them. So that self blame and shame uh, can be uh, a big part of it. And let me also say around the gender piece that uh, oftentimes for boys or men, uh, there's permission to be angry, but nothing else. So sometimes underneath the anger is actually disappointment, yeah. is actually grief, is actually hurt, right? But we can't say my feelings are hurt. Instead, I have to say I'm hot, right? Yeah. Right? Because that's acceptable. And you know, on the other side, that often it's not okay for women to express their anger, right? Then they're the B word yeah. or they're emasculating or, you know, that they just need to like smile and be grateful. So both of those things like limit our full humanity, right? That a woman could be angry and a man could be hurt. Why is that? Why is, I guess, of course, we all know that, that it is okay for that may be the most, well, I guess it's accepted that men and masculine is anger and women and feminine is sadness. Is that mm -hmm. kind of the go? And right. why? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah. Why is, why, yeah. why are they feminine or gender? Yes. Yeah. So I think it's, it's with sexism, like who benefits from women not being allowed to be mad? Okay. That's fair. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, you know, it told her, it's, you know, it's that whole thing of like being on the shelf, being eye candy, mm -hmm. being property, you know. So with, again, we'll get on anger. We know that term of, well, you said it in, in essence or, or referred to it in that it's okay to be uh, angry in essence about things that are outrageous. How did you say that? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's, it's healthy to be outraged, outraged right. about outrageous things. And so to even ask yourself, what are the things that I find outrageous? Right. Like if nothing is outrageous to you, then you won't work to make anything better. So like whose suffering do you care about and whose suffering do you not care about? Yeah. So if you have that, we have that term of righteous anger, and maybe that's mm -hmm. a, a more faith-based perspective, but righteous mm -hmm. anger, we, I, I grew up hearing about that yeah. in the church, yes. hey, righteous anger against those things that are mm -hmm. outrageous. And mm -hmm. you got me thinking as I was reading your book about, well, I'm also, I've, I've recently gone through Brene Brown's new book, mm -hmm. Atlas of the Heart, yes. where she pulls out instead of the you know, three emotions that I generally would relate to. She's saying, no, there's about 87, I think is what her number is, literally mm -hmm. 87 emotions. Can I, and I was, I was just interested in that. Is there righteous sadness? Is there righteous? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dis, I, I don't yes. know. Yeah. Talk. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, empathy, right? Do I care about uh, things and issues uh, beyond myself? Like, you know, that this is grief worthy, Right. Even if I was not the direct target. Right. Do I have compassion? Do I have empathy? 
do I have a care uh, for for justice in the world? Or, you know, do I care about people who are being mistreated? And uh, I think sometimes in this culture, there can be such a focus on productivity and wealth creation that it's like tune out everything else and just make sure you and your family are good. And that's, you know, not a holistic way of living. You have back on just disconnection. I appreciated you listed out. You literally get four bullet points, signs of being disconnected from self. So I'm going to ask everybody, think about yourself right now, not somebody else, you signs of disconnection from self people pleasing, which is my number one. Yeah. Um, depression, which I haven't associated with in my unawareness, mm-hmm. anxiety, definitely there. And, and I do want to pull, actually, let me ask you about that. Well, no, I'll finish anxiety and then resentment. Okay. People pleasing depression, anxiety, and resentment. Um, I do want to ask about anxiety. That is maybe, it feels like one of the most popular terms that we're talking about in reference to, to this aspect right now. And I have known that about myself and yet I've grappled with it. I've been a little challenged with it because I also realize we tend to think anxiety. Oh, that's worry. That's being worried. It's a negative thing. And yet I realize I can carry around anxiety about good things, about things that I'm excited about. And yet I'm still not back to peace. I'm not in a peaceful place. Yeah. And I haven't been able to reconcile that one. Can you speak to that, to anxiety, mm-hmm. that it's not mm-hmm. just about worry, that it's right. not about yes. lack? Yes. So, you know, there's a term people talk about, like a healthy anxiety that can feel more like adrenaline or motivation or energized, you know, that some people are feel anxious before a speech, but then they go in there and that like pulls them through. And some people like run to the bathroom, and don't come out right and can't do the talk. So it's like immobilizing. Uh, So, yes, there is a cushion or a room for the ways in which I can feel uh, that anxiety, but immobilized or inspired or energized versus it being debilitating. Right. Okay. So in that people pleasing, depression, anxiety, resentment, I mean, that's something we can all self audit, uh, to a degree to look for signs of a disconnected self. So with those signs of disconnection, I'm curious, just you, uh, this is, you know, this is the consummate thing of, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm talking with a psychologist. She's going to She's going to, you know, she's going to get me, (laughs) but, but in, in that reference point, social times, when you're with people, what are some of the biggest, just initial social telltale signs for you of somebody that you say, "Ah, that's a, that's a disconnection. That's somebody who's on the spectrum, but I I see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one, uh, big sign that stands out is lack of self-awareness. So the example I give when we talk about the anger, when people are clearly upset, but are not willing to admit it, they're like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. So it's like you're even disconnected from your own experience, right, Mm -hmm. from your own body, from your own emotions. So there's um, when people aren't tuned into their own truth. And then secondly, when they're not tuned into other people. Right. So when you see people and it's like they haven't read the room. Like you don't see, right? You're not, you're not paying attention to like even the person you're speaking to that this is not helpful. So it's uh, that lack of awareness. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, this is, we'll anchor this talk right here though. It is a show probably in and of itself. Maybe we'll need to come back and, and talk because you have a significant part on reparenting. I honestly have not heard that term to me. I right away went to, and maybe it's semantics to a degree, but was to reprogramming the, I feel like brainwashing that we all had as children. And as a father, I've looked at that and realized I can't, I can't not brainwash my kids. I mean, that my experience or what the experience I afford them is so much of what they're going to be programmed by. I'm going to do my best, but I want them to come to a point of reckoning of questioning and of looking at where do they need to question some of that reprogram themselves. And you're saying reparent. And that gave me a new paradigm towards that, that we all yeah. now have the responsibility. Is that what you say to, mm-hmm. uh, and opportunity, how maybe that yeah. responsibility and yeah. opportunity to reparent ourselves. But that's, mm-hmm. I just have not experienced that paradigm. I'm sure that you're yeah. aware of that. And that's why you put it in the book. Yeah, so I I like it. I have used that reprogramming language before. And yet at the same time, I think when we think programming, you know, it feels mechanical. Okay. Like we're just like this empty slate and people type things into us, right? So you think parenting, good parenting, healthy parenting, you think of more like nourishment or care or teaching. And it's, it also, I think, sticks out for me because I've worked with a lot of people who are stuck in resentment mm. of the parenting they received. And understandably so, but also nobody wants to be stuck, right? So it's like, yes, we not all of us got, uh, even for, for no parent has been perfect. So there are things they missed. There are things they may have done that were harmful. So now, you know, I grieve that, I acknowledge that, and now... How do I treat myself? Yeah. How do I give myself the things I was longing for from them? Well, what I said there is a great, for me, encapsulation of the book. You gave me more to understand and to be responsible for, but to have the opportunity of, and I am, again, I love the, I love the title, Coming Home. Who does not want yeah. to? in a safe place, in a yeah. good place, in an authentic place, in a holistic place, come home. So I'm just grateful for what you've done to bring this book to us and for the time you've given me here today, Tama. Thank you so oh. much. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. So now you can mention to people you know that you listen to a podcast with the president-elect of the American Psychological Association, gain some social credit points. Again, you can find Dr. Tama, and that's spelled T-H-E-M-A, Tama Bryant, her book, Homecoming, Anywhere and Everywhere, of course, and connect with her at drthema.com. Friends, till the next episode, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.